0: Welcome to the Lion's Den University Report. This program brings you a behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. The following program was previously broadcast. Today we're actually at a conference on Christian apologetics. It's the 20th anniversary uh, conference on Christian apologetics here in Charlotte, North Carolina, it's sponsored by the South. Uh, Southeastern Evangelical Seminary, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary. And mm-hmm. uh, my guest for this broadcast is one of the speakers here, but he's also a professor emeritus at Cornell University. I've been trying to track him down in mm-hmm. New York, but uh, met him here in North Carolina today. And we're doing this uh, interview at the site of the conference, uh, Dr. John Sanford. And uh, John, welcome to our program today. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Glenn and uh, you are Professor Emeritus uh, at Cornell University. Tell us a little bit about your uh, history with Cornell and how you ended up there as a professor and what you were uh, uh, teaching and, and uh, researching there.
1: Okay, so um, so I'm actually a courtesy associate professor. I'm not quite an Emeritus professor. It's like um, the arrangement is I don't have to work and they don't have to pay me, which, <laughs> is, which <laughs> works for both <laughs> of us. Uh, we, I took early retirement from Cornell uh, actually, ten years ago, when I was about fifty years old, uh, because I wanted to do research uh, in a new area, I wanted to do basic research about what's about basic basic truths. And my, I was hired to do agricultural research, and so I didn't feel like I could, uh, in good faith, take pay for for this new line of investigation that I was pursuing. So I took early retirement. And how long had you been a full-time professor there when you retired? So I had been there for uh, 20 years, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay.
1: So uh, Cornell um, was a really good experience for me. And again, it was a little unusual. Most professors uh, teach undergraduate classes. I was a full-time researcher, and taught graduate students, so right. I was uh, off the main campus. I was at the agricultural research station in Geneva, New York, and so that gave me a little bit of um, distance. I think to um, maybe think, get outside the group think. There's a very strong group think on the university campus, right? And um, it, it takes um, either a, a, a an act of God or a very deliberate act of will to uh, resist the groupthink.
0: Gotcha. And your career was quite uh, pro- uh, prolific though in terms of the fact that uh, I understand you were an inventor of the gene gun, uh, which uh, modifies uh, genetics of plants while, while you are in the horticulture field
1: there. Yes, so uh, my training was in plant breeding and plant genetics, and so I was very interested in increasing world food production. Uh, when I was a graduate student. And so uh, I took a position at Cornell in, in the agricultural area, and I was very interested in applied work, and you know, how can we increase food production. And at that point, um, people were just starting to consider plant genetic engineering, and one of the main constraints for that uh, was that they did not have a gene delivery system. They were already cloning genes that looked like they might have value in agriculture, and yet uh, they weren't able to um, get these genes into the plant genome. Mm-hmm. And so that's the area of research that I'm best known for. And we developed a new technology called the gene gun technology. It actually involves shooting the DNA into the tissues uh, and cells and um, using microscopic bullets, bullets that were basically um, about one micron in diameter, a millionth of a meter. Mm. And uh, these would be, uh, these are accelerated with a gene gun device up to the speed of a rifle bullet. But it's basically a a very fine metal powder that's being blasted into the tissue. And before the powder is blasted into the tissue, it's coated with DNA. So the, the, the microscopic particles carry the DNA into the cell.
0: Right. Well, mm-hmm. that's uh, quite uh, amazing what you've been able to do, and, and certainly, you know, a, a leader in your field over the years. Uh, and uh, certainly highly credentialed scientist but uh, our program of course the lion's den university report Mm -hmm. focuses on the spiritual dimension on our campuses and Mm -hmm. I understand uh, during that time of your uh, career as a professor there you also had a a spiritual conversion Mm -hmm. uh, as well that took place that impacted even uh, your desire to change your research uh, in your later time right and uh, so tell us a little bit about how you came to faith in
1: Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So actually, I grew up in a family that was nominally Christian. We went to church sometimes, but we didn't really um, focus on spiritual things. And um, I remember in when I was in high school, uh, sitting in the kitchen with my mom, and and I said, I don't believe in God. And she said, why not? And she said, well... Uh, I, my response was, well, science proves that God doesn't exist. Mm. And so the, the science that I had received in high school made it clear to me that there was no God and that evolution explains it all. Sure. And so that was uh, that was the kind of my state of mind when I went to the university uh, to get an education. And um, I, my university years, I was really in a dark place. That was during the... The, the hippie movement, and everybody was on drugs, and everybody was a Marxist or some type of socialist or communist. Right, and, and I was at Berkeley at that time, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, so we, I relate to we, that. We, we, uh, we vividly remember that, although you were a believer at that time, I believe, right. and yes. I was lost, I was really yeah. lost. And so and were you at Cornell, or where I, did you go? I was go? at the University of Minnesota. Minnesota, okay. And um, so... There were different places along the way where I did meet people who acknowledged God. And I was always kind of intrigued by that. And often those people were people I really liked. And so that did soften me a little bit. Right, okay. Um, But in graduate school, I had a, a, a fellow graduate student who was so excited about evolution in a romantic way... In terms of you know we're we're gonna make the world's getting better and as scientists we're going to contribute to this continuing evolution and who knows what we're going to evolve into and it's um, and so I was um, very very strongly uh, not just believing evolution but ex- excited about it as a uh, a reason a purpose uh, goal mm-hmm. sure and that's uh, I call that romantic evolutionism because it it. It's uh, The alternative is the hardcore evolution, which says nothing matters, and it's not going anywhere. It's just random uh, process. And so, uh, yeah, that's where I was at when I came to Cornell. I did graduate work at Wisconsin and focused, as I said, on agriculture research, genetics especially, and then started a career at Cornell. So while I was at Cornell... um, I remember my first graduate student uh, was a Christian hmm. and so I, I, he was a great young man and I liked him and I figured uh, he'd, you know, I, I didn't really, wasn't against his Christianity, I just thought it was naive
0: mm-hmm. sure. and,
1: uh, you know, I remember years later, um, I had become a Christian and, uh, and I saw him after not seeing him for years and I, and I said, I've become a Christian. And he said, "Oh, that's too bad. I'm not." He had he had lost his faith. Wow. Mm. Because of, I think quite clearly because of evolution right. and, and the impact. Mm. And I felt, uh, in retrospect, I thought I probably contributed to that. Yeah. In yeah. in my skepticism, we didn't talk about evolution, but it was just understood that evolution was the truth. Right. And so I I still regret that to this day. And um, but uh, for for um, for me. Uh, I really was content with being a, an atheist and an evolutionist. Uh, and But in our mid-30s, um, my wife and I had a, we re- ran into a place where it was, just didn't seem like there was any way that we were going to make our marriage work. And um, we already had two beautiful children, and, um, and I just didn't know what we were going to do, but uh, my wife, who actually comes from a Jewish background, mm-hmm. said she'd like to go start going to church. And I said, well, I kind of condescended to do that. And, right. uh, but you know, in that setting, we found out this humble little church uh, and um, we just experienced in that place, we saw the love of Christ in the people. And we, as we started to hear more about the person of Jesus, we, we were really drawn to the person of Jesus and one of the strange, it was a very liberal little church, and uh, they, asked, they asked Helen and I to teach Sunday school, even though they weren't we weren't we right? saved. We hadn't even read the Bible, <laughs> yes, uh, okay. and okay. which you know, which okay. makes us false teachers. Uh, we shudder to think that we were teaching when we had no understanding. And um, but God used it, and he, because in the Helen was teaching kids and I was teaching adults, and um, the blind leading the blind, but. Um, it forced us to start reading the Bible,
0: exactly because mm-hmm.
1: every week we'd have to prepare a lesson. Yeah, and that was that was really um, an amazing thing because at first we we'd read the Bible and we think this is absolute insanity. None of this makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But as the as the years passed, um, we started to grow and um, independently we'd be you know doing our little Bible studies and preparing for our, our lessons, and independently we were kind of coming to the same conclusion. The more we read it the more we thought this this almost seems to be true <laughs> right
0: <laughs> tremendous
1: yeah so um, we did come to a place where we we came yeah. into agreement that this is true and um and helen wanted to become baptized and i said well i was a baptized as a kid mm-hmm.
0: sure. and
1: so um but i thought well i'll be baptized too because at the university at that point, we were going to church regularly. Right. And we were feeling like we were Christians. But if someone asked me, in fact, I felt in fear that someone would ask me because um, if someone had asked me, I'd, probably, I'd say, I'm sort of a Christian. And, of course, there's no such thing as sort of a Christian, mm-hmm. but um, that's that would have been my answer. Right. Because there's so many things I couldn't reconcile and so many things I couldn't quite believe. Mm-hmm. And, um so uh, when Helen said she wanted to be baptized, I thought, I think I'm ready to step across the line. So I don't have to say I'm sort of a Christian. I want to be able to say I am a Christian. And um,
0: so you came to believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be, the Savior of the world, that He died for your sins and rose yeah, again from was, the dead. I
1: was believing that, uh, but it was uh, it was um, there was still a lot of unbelief mixed in. Mm-hmm. Um, so i've kind of gone through that journey it doesn't usually for most of us it doesn't happen with a lightning bolt it comes as a gradual realization and a kind of a gradual surrendering to the authority of the word of god and so for me um i decided i wanted to step across the line and um the pastor the interim pastor who baptized us um he just before he dunked me uh, he said, "You received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and our liberal church didn't teach Lord.
0: Mm. It
1: was very liberal and um I hadn't heard that Lord and Savior and it just it hit me like a uh, like a ton of bricks uh, that's what this is about is well i'm I'm surrendering everything to him, and um that so for me, and then my, my moment of baptism was my surrendering moment. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Fantastic. And so uh, you were active in the church and already teaching and studying yeah. the Bible. And then uh, how did your faith then get nourished to uh, be strengthened if, if the church you were in wasn't necessarily teaching what yeah. you you were learning?
1: <laughs> well, more and more, Helen and I, as we were reading the Bible, we realized uh what we're reading in the bible and what we're hearing from the pulpit aren't this don't they don't line up and so we started to realize there was a problem and um i I, at that point became very interested in promise keepers movement which is in the 90s and um that that was really important for me partly because um, i started to hear the truth strongly stated from a masculine perspective and, uh, you know, the, the idea of uh, being reconciled to family and to other races of men and to um, and to Christ.
0: Great. Well, my guest for this edition of The Lion's Den has been uh, Dr. John Sanford, uh, professor having been a professor at uh, Cornell Mm -hmm. University, Mm -hmm. and we're going to continue the broadcast uh, on our next edition. You have been listening to the Lion's Den University Report. If you would like more information about the Christian life or would like to contact the Lion's Den or one of the guests, please write us at the Lion's Den, Post Office Box 226, Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, 17844, or email ltcldur at yahoo.com.